That's right. Come on now. Listen, I think it's an important thing for us as a church to remember that we as a church believe wholeheartedly and proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord and that he is on his throne, that he is resurrected and that we follow him unashamedly. Listen, we want to proclaim the fact that Jesus is Lord and we want to live under that truth and allow our lives to live under that reality. And so that's what we want to be about in all that we do. We've been looking at this idea of twisted scripture. Right, all kinds of fun things that we've seen so far, some amazing stuff that we've looked at. Scripture twister, twisted scripture, and there's all kinds of verses out there. Today, what we're going to look at is one that I think is probably by far the most misinterpreted verse throughout all of the scriptures. And I think it's important for us to see this because uh, anytime that you have a verse that's taken out of context, it's important for us as the church to know exactly what it says and why it says that. Now, we've seen these different things, and I'll have to admit that in this particular uh, verse that we're going to look at today, it's one that athletes in particular love to take and use as personal motivation. And, and I have to confess that I'm probably guilty of that. I'm an old has-been. Uh, I played ball back in the day. I was a part of FCA, and as a part of FCA, one of the things that I like to do is to go and find a Bible verse. How many Christian athletes in here? That would motivate me, right? That would help me to be able to strive to be the best that I could be, and so I was likely guilty of taking this particular verse, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, right? We love to take that verse and say, man, that means I can go and do some amazing things. I can make sure and win whatever it is. And so I try to take that and have motivation for playing a game. And I know that there's a lot of other people as well. Matter of fact, if you go and do any kind of a web search, you'll find all kinds of different things. Here's some of the things that you might find as you look. A nice t-shirt that has a biblical verse on it with somebody slam dunking over the cross, right? We've got a basketball player claiming that verse. Here's another one for you, baseball. Okay, let's not leave out the best of all, football, right? People take these verses and say, hey, let's make sure and, and motivate people so that they might be able to do the best they can. We're going to have t-shirt sales right after church if anybody would like to buy one. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding, because all of these are out of context. All of these miss the mark and miss what this particular passage is really all about. But it's not just t-shirt companies that do this. You realize there's all kinds of famous athletes that do this as well, and I want to show you just a few. Number one, Evander Holyfield. He was a boxer back in the day. As a matter of fact, you can look and see on his robe what verse is written on his robe. Philippians 4.13, that's right. As a matter of fact, he was climbing into the ring right there to go into fight Mike Tyson, and guess what? He won that particular bout against Mike Tyson. And so you can say, hey, look, that verse works. But you can also look at history and see that he wore that robe going to fight somebody else. And he didn't win. He lost that particular bout. And so we see famous people doing that. Here's one of today, Stephen Curry. Right? Here's what he says, as a matter of fact. It says, it represents a Bible verse I wear on my shoe. And as a matter of fact, if you didn't know this, Stephen Curry has a shoe line through Under Armour that says all things, right? He wants to make sure and proclaim this reality. But he says, Philippians 4, 13, it says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It is also my mantra, how I get up for the games and why I play the way I do. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that typically the way that people would use that particular verse? Well, here's one more. Uh, one of the guys that I really enjoy listening to and I like, but you can see Tim Tebow here. If you look on his eyes, he has on those eye blacks, Philippians 4.13. As a matter of fact, Tim Tebow, he won the Heisman Trophy in the same year that he uh, won the national championship. And he wore that Philippians 4.13 all the way through the season. 
until the championship game. And he went to his coach, Irvin Meyer, and said, hey, listen, coach, I'm going to change what's on my eye blacks if that's okay. He goes, what in the world? That's, that's what got us here, that verse. That's what he said. He said, well, I'm going to put on there John 3.16. Interesting side note, when he wore that on his eye blacks, people looked up John 3.16 in vast numbers. Somebody came to Tim Tebow afterwards and said, do you realize that so many thousands of people actually looked up to see what John 3.16 said? Isn't that awesome? He goes, I'm more surprised that people, that many people didn't know what John 3.16 said, right? And so, and so you have these different athletes that are taking these things and, and, and putting them into their lives as personal motivation. Now, I want you to understand that I'm not knocking these athletes, okay, because I've, I've been there. I've done that. But it is important for us as believers to understand exactly what we believe and where these things are coming from and what Scripture truly teaches some of these men are taking these verses out of context and making it say something that it, they don't want, or that it doesn't say. This is some of the things that people believe this verse could mean or what they want to take it to mean. Most who quote this verse would take it to mean that uh, they can gain the power to do anything that they want to do. That's what a lot of people take this verse as. Or they take it to mean that they can accomplish their greatest individual dreams or that they might even become... Uh, able to do some sort of a human, superhuman feat in order to chase after what they desire. See, that, that's what most people would take that verse and use it in that context. But what does it really say? Now listen, Tim Tebow is, is a, an amazing man of God. And I think that it's amazing for us to be able to have men of God that are in athletics. I love it that Stephen Curry is a believer. I love it that he shares his faith. I love it that Evander Holyfield was willing to be a, a person that would say, I want you to know Jesus. And I love it that Tim Tebow is that same kind of individual. As a matter of fact, Tim Tebow was quoted as talking about this particular verse, and I want you to hear what he had to say. This is what Tim Tebow said, and we, we should have this quote up there. But it says this, A lot of people know Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, but a lot of people don't interpret that verse the right way. Tebow's on the right track. Most people think it means I can do anything on the football field or I can make a lot of money. But that's not exactly what it's talking about here. It's saying I can be content with anything. Man, Tim Tebow, he's right on. He understands exactly what it's all about. So as he wore that on his face throughout the games, he knew what he was talking about. He knew what it meant. But interestingly enough, that particular quote from Tim Tebow was posted at one point on Facebook, and there was a response thread that took place, and this is one of the responses that hap happened to be on that thread. It said this about Tim's response, or his, uh, his declaration of that verse. He said, I'm not sure what this context thing is all about, but I'm not about to let anybody tell me that I have to understand my favorite Bible verse in any particular way. He goes on, he says, it says what it says, and what it says has absolutely nothing to do with what the verse before it says or the verse after it says. Say what? Okay, but that's what oftentimes we do when we take a verse by itself without anything around it. What we are trying to do is to say, I want this to mean this to me, and I don't care what God's saying. And don't you be pious, because I know that we've all, to a degree, been there, because we desire for the Bible to say certain things to us and to mean certain things to us. We go to the Bible sometimes with our own preconceived ideas in order to make it say what we want, rather than hearing what God truly says. 
And so as we look at this particular verse, we need to make sure that this statement that this man made doesn't happen in our lives. And it's important for us to be able to look at the verses before and after. Therefore, what we're going to do this morning is we are going to take a look at Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 13. If you've got your copy of the scripture, I invite you to open that up. And let's take a look together and see what Paul, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, told us and taught us. Verse 10. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Now that I am, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned that in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Isn't that interesting? When you take the verse in context with everything else, it takes the whole picture and it puts it in your face to say, this is really what it means. Plain and simple, this verse is about being content. Not about gaining power to achieve your own personal dream. So what is contentment? Contentment is this idea that I'm satisfied with what I have. I'm satisfied. I'm okay. It doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to say, I, I would like something new. It says, I'm satisfied with what I have. And that's important for us to take a look and realize that whenever Paul wrote this particular verse, he was in prison. He was likely chained to Roman guards. He was, he was there writing down while in prison, while suffering in a situation that he necess didn't necessarily want to be in, he said, I can be content. I can be content right here where I am. Being under house arrest, Paul, he meant that uh, this particular prison, when he was there, he was house arrest, which basically means he was living in a place that he had to await trial but pay for it while he was there. How's he going to pay for it? depending upon the church, and that's why he's writing the church, thanking them for what they've done in his life for him. Now, before we get into the passage, we should ask ourselves the question, is contentment for the Christian any different than contentment for the world? Now, there was a particular uh, quote by a Puritan pastor named Jeremiah, Jeremiah Burroughs. He defines it this way, Christian contentment is the sweet, inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit which freely submits to and delights in God's wise and fatherly disposal of every condition. Layman's terms. Being so satisfied with God that you can handle anything or go without things in life. That's what Christian contentment is. Being so satisfied with God that you can handle anything or deal without having some things. That's what it's all about, and so it's important for us to understand that being content doesn't mean that you don't want things. Do you think Paul wanted to be in prison at that moment? I think he likely wanted to get out and go preach the word. He wanted to be out amongst the, the people in Rome, telling them about Jesus, making sure they understood what Jesus had done for them. He desired to be out and around, but he was stuck in prison and still content. Now, that's a powerful reality for us to recognize. You see, contentment is being so satisfied in God that you are fine even if you don't get what you want. The American church needs to hear that today. Because oftentimes we can complain and we can moan and we can say, I, I don't get this. We live in an entitled world. It says, I deserve this basically because I am an American. 
guys, we've got to get beyond that. Contentment is being so satisfied with God that you're fine when you don't get what you want because you have all you need in God. That's the reality for you and I to remember and understand today. The world says that you always need more, but God says you always have what you need in Jesus. Therefore, cling to Christ. Therefore, be content in who he is. So as I began reading this particular text, there's one thing that continually came to my mind as I looked at this. And that is the question, is Jesus enough? Is Jesus enough? That's the question I want you to think about and I want you to allow to pervade your mind as we move through this. So the question is, how can we live contented? There's three things that I believe that we can do and three things I believe Paul shows us here. The first one is this, contentment begins with trusting that God will provide. Contentment begins with trusting that God will provide. Now Paul knew his source of life. He knew his source of gifts. He knew his source of everything and that was the Father. James tells us this in James 1.17. He says, every good and perfect gift is coming down from above. The Father of lights in whom there is no shadow or uh, a variation or shadow due to change. James and Paul on the same wavelength to say, I know where my gifts come from. God is the supplier of all things in my life. And so Paul's source of joy and contentment was always centered upon God and not the gift. Look at verse 10. Interestingly enough, he says, I rejoiced. And the Lord greatly. Have you ever given somebody something and they say, man, thank the Lord that he gave that to me. Dude, I just gave that to you. We're talking about. Can you imagine the church looking at this particular statement saying, wait a second, Paul, we gave that to you. I don't think the church would have done that. I think that he, that Paul in this particular circumstance was helping the church understand what they already knew, that all good things are coming from the Father, and he used you to allow me to experience something good. He allowed you to give me something that I needed desperately. And that's so important for us to remember, that the church is somebody that we can come together and help fulfill the needs of people in amazing ways. Paul knows that God is the real source for everything, and so Paul was completely and fully content because he knew that God could and would provide no matter who he used. And amazingly enough, God uses us to provide needs, doesn't he? God uses us to be able to experience the blessing of providing those needs in many ways. I was at a church in Tulsa several years ago, and there was a, a young man, upper tw- 20s, I guess, uh, that, that had come to know Christ, put his faith in Christ. And this young man really trusted Jesus with all of his heart to the point where he had come into some financial difficulties, lost his car, but check this out. And, and he wasn't the, the, the picture of health by any means. He got on a bicycle, an old, puffy Walmart bicycle, and he rode to church on Sunday. He desired so much to be around the people of God and hear the preaching of the Word of God that he got on that bike after work on Wednesdays and rode to church. Man, I would watch him as he came in, just uh, sweat beads running down his face, but he's like, I'm, I'm so glad I get to come to church because he loved Jesus. Well, there was another man in the church that said uh, he saw this person coming to church all the time. And, and he thought, you know what? I've got a car that I'm not using anymore. Maybe, maybe God wants me to give that car to him. And so he was at this place in this dilemma because he had plans on selling the car and using it for something else for his family. But the more he thought about it, the more this thought came into his mind I need to give this car to this young man so that he can do what he needs to do with work and making it to church. And so as this man debated in his mind what was right, the spirit impressed upon his heart, no, you need to give this car to this man. You know what he did? The, guy, the young man's name was Josh. Hey, Josh, listen, 
I see you're trying to follow Jesus. I want to help you. Here's a car. You don't owe me anything for it. It's yours. Who gave him that car? We said, well, the, the, the man of the church did. Wait a second. But it was by the impression of the Holy Spirit that said, you need to do this. You see, that's what Paul is saying. He's saying, you gave me this incredible gift, but I'm so thankful to God that God used you because you were faithful to follow. Bottom line, Paul was content because he fully trusted that God could and would provide for him. Guys, I want to encourage you with something today. Nothing's changed. Can I encourage you today that nothing has changed? That God still provides for his people, that God still allows the people who have needs, who belong to him, to have the supply from the good father who is above us. You realize that God still gives us the things that we desperately need. I'm not talking about wants, but when you're in a need, God says, I'm a good father, I will give you that very thing. And so nothing's changed for us, so you, you can trust in God to provide for you. The second thing that we can learn from this is, is this reality, contentment comes through learning to have an enduring focus on Christ. Contentment comes through learning to have an enduring focus on Christ. Paul in verse 11 says, Not that I am speaking of being in need. I have learned in whatever circumstances. He says, I've learned. That's something that we don't like to do, right? Uh, God, would you bless me with uh, patience? Don't, don't ever do that, by the way. Okay? Have you ever heard about people praying for patience and they learned it the hard way? God, give me contentment. God doesn't all of a sudden zap us with contentment. You're like, oh, yeah, I'm content. I'm good. I don't need anything. No, you know what he does? He uses circumstances. And that's what Paul's saying. I learned the ability to be contentment because I am walking with Christ. And Paul went through some horrific things, some horrible things that he had to walk through that taught him in order to be content. Now, we don't like that word taught, do we? Because that puts the onus on us to place the effort into doing things we don't like the idea of top because then we have to strive to be something we have to strive to follow we have to strive to do what's right paul's contentment was learned through a lot of hard work and painful circumstances one commentator said this paul's emphatic use of the personal pronoun i here in this verse highlights his claim that he did his work he mastered the lessons he passed the tests you know what paul's saying now I know. Now I really know how to be content because I've gone through it all. And you know what? As I've gone through it all, God was right there with me to show me and to provide for me and to give me everything that I needed. It was through this that he found the joy of the Lord. Through these circumstances, Paul would tell you that he found the rare treasure that gave his life meaning and ultimate joy by going through the circumstances, not by God simply saying, boom, there you go. You got contentment. No, it was through the process of learning. And that's what Paul says. Now, I want you to hear this. This is so powerful for us to think about. Paul learned that com uh, contentment comes through Christ's sufficiency, not self-sufficiency. Paul learned that contentment comes through Christ's sufficiency, not self-sufficiency. Paul, in this verse, verse 12, says, I know how to be brought low, how to bound. I am content. Actually, in verse 11, he says, I am content in all situations. This word content is a word that is only used here in the New Testament, right? So you think that Paul's trying to make a, a serious point in this point? He said, I can be content. Now, this was a word used in Greek culture by Stoics. Have you ever called somebody Stoic before? You know what we mean by that. That's a person that doesn't show any emotion. They're stone-faced, right? They, they don't let on what's going on in their heart. There was a philosophy of people, a group called the Stoics. 
who lived that way. As a matter of fact, these men would, would do all that they could to prove that they were self-sufficient. Here's what Kent Hughes says. He says, the Stoic ideal was a kind of self-contained superman who could rise above it in all circumstances in an independent self-sufficiency and serenity. You know what he's saying? These guys lived in order to do it on their own and not let anybody see him sweat. They were the pull yourself up by your bootstrap type people. You seen those kind of people before? They don't ask for help. They do it all on their own. I'm going to pull myself up by my bootstraps and, and I don't need any help. But Paul uses this word content to get the attention of the church to say this. Listen, I realize they say they're self-sufficient, but not me. I'm content because I'm Christ-sufficient. Because I've placed my life in the hands of Jesus and I've trusted him with all things in order that I might be able to experience what only Christ can do in my life. Paul is saying Jesus has all power and I have him. My life and my focus are set upon him, therefore I am completely content. But I've trusted him. I'm content in Jesus and what Jesus has done and will do in and for me. You can be content. You can be content. In every circumstance, you can experience what contentment is all about. But we can be content because of a person, not circumstances. You guys understand that? Most people depend upon circumstances to define how they live and how they're happy and whatever it may be. We can say, listen, my dependency is upon a person, Jesus Christ, who has completed the work upon the cross, who is seated at the right hand of God, and because of that, I can be content in him and not in what's going on around me. Verse 12 is likely a summation as Paul lists out some things that probably took place in his life and a summation of things that we read throughout Scripture and other places. Uh, Acts chapter 16, he talks about things. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, and I want to share with you what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, which is incredibly powerful. And in the midst of all that he had gone through in his school of hard knocks, he was still content. Let's see what Paul dealt with. In 2 Corinthians eleven twenty four, it says this, Five times I received at the hands of the Jews forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from our, my own people, danger from the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger in the sea, danger from false brothers and toil and hardship through many sleepless nights and hunger and thirst often without food and cold and exposure and apart from all other things there is the daily pressure on me of the anxiety for all the churches you know paul saying man i suffered i went through some circumstances that a lot of people would have given up but I didn't give up. And as a matter of fact, I want to point this out as well. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, right after he lists all of those things, he throws out one of the verses that I've clung in my, to in my life. In verse 9, he says, but, this is Jesus, but Jesus said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that the power of Christ might reign in me. That's the same thing that he's saying right here. I can do all things through Christ. Why? Because Jesus is in me. Because I've trusted in Jesus. He empowers me to do what I can't do on my own. And that is be content in these circumstances. That's where Paul's at. That's where you and I can be. When we are willing to hear and learn the secret Paul gives us the secret of contentment right here. 
Now, now we all know those people that you say, well, don't tell that person your secret because everybody will know. That's who Paul was, right? He says, I know the secret. Let me tell you about it. He wants everybody to understand what the secret is when it comes to this. Paul says that I have learned the secret. Now, interestingly enough, that phrase in our English Bible is one word in the Greek Bible. One word in the Greek Bible that Paul throws out this idea, I have learned, and again, it's only found right here in the New Testament. The only time this word is used, this Greek word was a technical term in the Hellenistic mystery religions for being initiated into the mysteries by going through sacred sacred rituals. And so the idea is that he had been initiated. He'd gone through it all. Remember, don't, don't pray for contentment because... What happened to Paul could be thrust upon your life so that you can learn contentment. Although Paul found his treasure in those circumstances. What was the secret to Paul's contentment? It was this. It all comes down to who our focus is on. You guys get that? Our contentment comes down to who we are focused on. What we are focused on. C.J. Mahaney says it well. Paul learned the secret because he learned to give attention to the Savior. But Paul isn't preoccupied with his situation. He's preoccupied with Jesus. Isn't that incredible? He goes on, he says, this is the secret. When you focus on Jesus, you can be content when you're focused on Jesus. Paul is showing us that the contented Christians haven't made this world their home. Heaven's their home, right? They're living for heaven. Paul says, I'm just here, but I belong there, and I'm going to walk towards him and focus on him. Paul has learned the secret of being content because he has not learned to keep his focus. He has now learned to keep his focus on his relationship with Christ, not the fluctuating circumstances of his life. Guys, did any of y'all deal with some difficult circumstances? Anybody? Everybody in this room ought to say, amen, that's me. I've been there, right? How do you experience contentment inside of the circumstances? Not on the backside of circumstances, not before you go into those circumstances, in the midst of them, you focus on Christ. You set your eyes upon Jesus to make sure that you are walking after him and watching him in all things, focusing on Christ and your future home with heaven. That's the key to contentment. But lastly, and I think this may be the most important point for us to consider this morning, is this, contentment is gaining strength knowing Jesus is enough. Contentment is gaining strength knowing Jesus is enough. Now here's the verse. Here it is. Philippians 4.13. Is it talking about accomplishing anything and everything that this person wants? No, it means I can be content in all things. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Again, this is not a matter of gaining our greatest desires and whims. Paul is not claiming the ability to do anything and everything. Paul is not saying this verse and then saying, hey, I'm going to break my chains and I'm going to bum rush the guard and then I'm going to break out of prison. Because if you noticed, he's still in prison after he writes this letter. But if we take this verse to mean what athletes mean, then why didn't Paul break out? Because he didn't mean that. He meant I can be content because I'm not alone. Because I focus my eyes upon Jesus, and because Jesus is my treasure, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He is saying that he can have the power and the strength to do with anything and everything that's presented. Not just endure, but be content. Big difference. Why? Because he has Christ 
And Christ has him, therefore he is content, satisfied, able to do all things. Ultimately, ultimately, it is a reminder to us that Jesus is enough in all circumstances. Guys, can I encourage you with this today? Jesus is enough. He's enough as you look out into the world and you think, what in the world's going on today in our culture? This is insane. This is crazy. What is happening? Jesus is enough, even in that moment. I just, I just lost a loved one. I don't know what I'm going to do. Jesus is enough, even in that moment. I just lost my job. I don't know how I'm going to take care of my family next. I've got all of these things. I'm dealing with all these bills I have to pay. Jesus is enough. You realize that that's what Paul is saying in all of those things. You can trust that Jesus is enough. What an incredible lesson for us. What an incredible lesson. When you find your satisfaction in Jesus, he will give you strength in life that you need to be content. But here's the ultimate question for us. How in the world did Paul do it? You ever thought about that? Okay, he told us that he learned. He told us the secret. How in the world did he do it? How in the world did Paul get to that place where he was suffering and yet he could still say, I'm good. I'm content. Really? This is how he did it. And he told us in this same book, he told the church in this same book, and this is a powerful statement in uh, Philippians 3, chapter 3. If you look back, you can flip one page over. And this is what Paul said, and this is so important for us to catch and to understand and to cling to, to learn, to live out. Here's what he says in verse 8. Indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things. I count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him. Isn't that incredible? Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I might know him and the power of his resurrection. Now, skip down to verse 14, and here's what Paul ends it with, and he continues this idea, and he says, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. You know how Paul got there? You know how Paul experienced? You know, you know how we answer that question? Because contentment comes when Jesus is enough and when Jesus is your ultimate treasure. Listen, Paul lived his life for Jesus. Everything in his life was a matter of, I want to do this for God. I want to know Jesus. I want to wake up in the morning and find out what he has to say to me. I want to follow him. I want to do his work. I want to make sure that I'm living faithful to him. I want to do all that I can so that I can experience life in Christ. And as he did, you know what happened? Everything in this world kind of diminished. And everything in heaven grew brighter and brighter as he looked towards Christ. That's how he was content. Because he wasn't living for stuff on this earth. He wasn't living for the things on this earth. Now, legend has it, and you know how legend goes, right? Okay, most likely a story that was made up in some way, but it's a great story. Legend has it that there was a rich merchant in Rome who had heard about Paul, heard about his missionary journeys, heard about all of the things that he'd done with the church, heard about some of the miracles, heard about his letters, heard all of this stuff, and knew that he was in prison somewhere in Rome. And so he found Timothy. He said, Timothy, you got to get me a meeting with Paul. I got, I got to meet this guy. I got to know what he's all about. I've got to hear his thoughts. I got to experience life and what Paul says life really is. Can, can, can you give me a meeting with him? And so sure enough, 
Timothy brings this rich merchant to Paul while he's in prison. And as he's there in prison, he begins to talk with Paul, and he noticed how old and frail Paul looked. Matter of fact, he looked at, at Paul and he thought, this, this is Paul? Is it really? This, this is it? And then he begins to notice in Paul this old, physically frail man, strength and serenity. And there was a magnetism of this man, Paul, that he looked at and he thought, there's something about this guy. And he was amazed by Paul as he listened to Paul talk and he saw Paul's face light up and he thought, what in the world is it that gives this man his strength? And so he walked out of the prison and he looked at Timothy and he said to Timothy, he said, listen, what's the secret to this man's power? I've never seen anything like it before. And Timothy looked at him and said, can't you figure it out? Don't, don't you know? Like, no, tell me. Paul's in love. And, and the dude's like, uh, excuse me? What in the world is that supposed to mean? Timothy says, listen, you need to understand something. Paul is in love with Jesus. And the merchant looks back at Timothy, bewildered more than he was before, and he says, is that all? Where Timothy looks at him and says, sir, that is everything. That is everything. Here's what I want you to understand this morning. Jesus is enough. In all circumstances, in all ways, no matter what, Jesus is enough. He is everything. In all of your life, for all of your life, no matter what happens, Jesus is everything. Guys, I want to encourage you this morning. You can be content and thrive in life for the world to look at you and you say, it's him. He's everything to me. Would y'all bow your heads and close your eyes? We close out this morning. In just a moment, we're going to have a time of invitation. And I want to encourage you guys. Invitation is not just for people that desire to come and experience life in Christ for the first time. That's part of it. It's also for those people that say, I've heard God speak to me. I want to respond to him. Whether that's come down and pray, whether that is uh, coming and asking a minister to pray with you, whatever it may be, I want you to respond. But I want you to understand this. It's so important for us to see that there are people in this room today that could very easily say, Drew, I'm not content. I've missed contentment. I've missed what it means to be content. Drew, I, I, I want it, but I don't know how to get it. Maybe you're a believer and you say, listen, I, I don't have contentment in my life today. Well, can I ask you this question? What's getting in the way? What's getting in the way of you focusing on Jesus? Are you focusing on something in your life that's a problem and not the Savior? Oftentimes, that's what happens in our lives. We end up focusing on something far different than the Savior that can deliver us and give us that contentment. Maybe this morning you need to come forward. Maybe you need to come and kneel down on one of these steps and not talk to anybody, but just talk to God. Maybe you need to come and put your hand in the hand of one of these ministers and say, would you pray for me? I'm dealing with this. But you might be a person today in this room that would say, Drew, I've never quite heard it like that. And you know what? The word today has shown me that I need Jesus because I can't be content because I don't have Jesus. Maybe you're here today and you haven't experienced life in Christ. And it comes down to the truth of trusting that Jesus lived a perfect life, died on the cross to pay for your sins, and he rose from the dead. If you would put your faith in what he did for you and ask him to forgive you, you can have life. Maybe that's what you need this morning. Whatever it is, I want to ask you, church, would you respond to God?
It doesn't matter who's in this room. Would you respond to God? I want to ask everyone to stand to your feet this morning. And as we do, we're going to sing. Alex is going to lead us in a song. I want to ask you to sing the song, but I want you to respond. You do whatever God's calling you to do this morning. Let's sing. You respond.